you. God, would you help us not to be perfect, but to be aware and led by your Spirit and be able to see the things that others might walk past. Would you help us, God, to Good never morning, get Church. caught up in our religious Today's reading comes from um, Luke sort of chapter 10. Habits without and understanding we start verse 25. That you want to uh, see outworked with our lives. Would you help us to never feel underqualified to step in when there's an opportunity to meet someone? On one occasion, an expert in the and law stood up to test to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit to eternal so life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read Jesus, it? Would you help us he answered, us Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and, beyond, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he, where he was attacked by robbers. <coughs> they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and where, when he saw him, he took pity, pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, I'm just going to invite Craig to come up, and I just thought I'd pray with him before he uh, speaks to us. So come up, Craig. Yeah, Lord, we just want to pause uh, before Craig speaks and just ask you to be here, Lord, that you would just still our hearts that we can hear from you, Lord. We, we want you to speak into our lives, and uh, we pray for Craig, Lord, that he would be an instrument of your peace and of your wisdom. Lord, for all of us, we ask for humility just to hear from you, to allow you to convict us and to teach us, Lord. We need your wisdom in our life and we acknowledge that, Lord. So be here, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Craig. Thank you very much. Can you hear me okay with this? Is this all right? Great, you've got me? Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. It is a real privilege um, and an honour to get to share with you this morning and I'm grateful to Pastor Etienne and Dana for the invitation, the eldership and the leadership here um, that you would uh, give me the opportunity to share God's word and I guess uh, share a bit of my story and, and get to just be a part of your day today. Um, I have come here with my wife Miriam um, who, is a, who grew up in this church. Um, so for those that maybe taught her in kids church or um, was a part of her journey. I'm grateful for that because I kind of like her and, uh, and you did a good job. Whoever helped 
her become the, the young woman that she is today. We've got two uh, young boys who are being looked after by my mum this morning um, that we absolutely adore. Uh, and uh, that's a bit about our little family. Um, I think potentially I'm related to half of you in the room this morning. Um, so if that's the case and we haven't met you properly yet, my name's Craig and uh, nice to be a part of the family. And uh, I know many of you are, are a big family here uh, together. Um, I guess any time that I get the opportunity to share, speak, uh, anything like that, my hope and desire and prayer is that um, that if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't have a relationship with him, that maybe something I say would make you consider uh, how he could impact your life. And perhaps um, you've been in church your whole life and, and you've been a Christian far longer than I've been alive. Uh, if this morning maybe there was something that I could share or say that would make you just view him a little bit differently, that it would make him feel bigger or closer or would help you fall more in love with him. That's really all I'm ever trying to achieve. So um, thank you for the gentleman that, that shared our reading this morning. We are talking about a fairly well-known um, passage today called The Good Samaritan. Um, and it's one of my favorite stories because I find it challenging on so many different levels. I find it encouraging and I uh, really hope that today that we get something out of it as we continue to, uh, to go through it and unpack it. Um, if you're someone who likes titles to messages, the title to uh, what I'm sharing this morning, I've just named, Why Did the Christian Cross the Road? Do you like, do you like what I did with that? Oh, good. I thought that was clever. Um, Anyway, can I just pray again really quickly, just it would help me set up myself for this morning. So Lord, we just thank you so much that we are here. We thank you that you brought us here. We thank you that you've got us here, that we could be anywhere in the world really, but you've got us here together this morning. Would you grow us and change us and transform us from the inside out, that we would leave different to how we came in today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Um, a little story to begin with, or a little bit about myself. Um, I kind of like old things. I like uh, old cars. I've got a car that was built in 1977, uh, back when cars were, were not just manufactured in uh, factories and pieced together. They actually had character and were kind of cool. And uh, I really like playing with old cars. I like old buildings. Does anyone else like old buildings, like old architecture? Like, it's just fascinating, right? You, you drive around town to any new subdivision at the moment, every house kind of looks the same, but there's something about old things that are just that bit unique. Um, like I said, I'm here with my wife, Miriam. She's eight months older than me. I, I like old things. I like things that, that are old, classic things. And uh, I think it runs in our family, the, the older women chasing us young men. Um, but anyway, uh, I like old things. One of the, the old things I like um, is like old video games. I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone else really cares too much for old video games, but um, I kind of like old like Nintendo, Sega, old video games. Has anyone else kind of got any interest in that or I've lost you already? Um, that's okay. The dude down the back, I see you. Um, so I like old video games. I, I, I like the old Nintendos, the old Game Boys, the old classics, the things that I remember being uh, playing with as a 90s kid um, back in the day. And uh, I remember the first time that our family bought uh, a Nintendo console for our family. We, we grew up in Brisbane and uh, we went to the Brisbane show and they had a stall there and we brought a Nintendo and then we took it home and I remember playing on that Nintendo um, and just enjoying it as a kid and and I kind of never played it much after that but but when Miriam and I got married and and, uh, and we moved we moved in together and I moved out of home 
I found my old Nintendo tucked away uh, in a box somewhere and uh, I thought I'm going to dust it off and, and play this and I was reliving a little bit of my childhood and I thought oh, surely there's lots of games really cheap for these things now so I jumped onto eBay and I typed in Nintendo games and I was surprised to find that, that they're not that cheap and they're not that easy to find. And games that I thought would surely be like $2, $3, or people are just throwing them away or giving them away, uh, I found out that some of these old games are like hundreds of dollars now. Did, did anyone know this? Hundreds of dollars. And uh, to, to give you a bit of an idea, this is how rare some old Nintendo games are. Trust me, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. There's an old game called Nintendo Championship Gold that is worth about $18,000 US. There's another one called Stadium Events that's worth about $41,000 US and it might be in your cupboard at home. <laughs> you just never know. You just never know. So once I started to realise this, I thought I'm going to go and find these games. I started going to garage sales, I started searching on Gumtree, any online second-hand store, all those sorts of things. Uh, I remember I drove to Launceston to go to garage sales one day and... I was just fully addicted. My wife had to live through this um, phase with me. Um, and I started going through it. And as I was accumulating these games and things like that, I made a spreadsheet, what I paid for it, how good a condition it was, what it would sell for, what market value it had. And, uh, and I ended up, over a course of a year, I spent about $1,000 on Nintendo stuff, which is pretty silly, really. Um, but I ended up with about 14 different consoles. I had like 200 games. Uh, and then I realised I wanted to buy some new wheels for my old car, so I thought, I'm going to sell all of my Nintendo stuff for maximum profit, and I went through item by item, selling them bit by bit, and I made over $2,000 in Nintendo stuff, which I feel is pretty impressive. Um, and I'm basically, if you've got any Nintendo stuff and you want to know, I'm basically like a real estate agent for Nintendo stuff. Like, I can tell you what you should pay for it, where you could sell it, how much you could get for it on a good day. Uh, but I guess I, I say all that to say my hope and desire as I was going through garage sales or I was looking online was that I would have an understanding around the value of something that someone else wouldn't. Or the, the thing that everyone else would walk past at that garage sale, I might understand how truly valuable that is so that I could score a bargain. Does anyone like a bargain? I like a bargain. There's something about getting a bargain that just makes you kind of excited. I, I don't know about you, but if I was to walk down the street or go back to my car this morning, if there was 20 cents on the footpath, I would probably just walk past it. But if $20 was blowing past, I'd probably stop and pick it up because there's just a lot more value to that $20. And I suppose we like that in relation to how we value things. What we stop for uh, and what we give our attention to tends to determine how we actually value it. So this story of the Good Samaritan is really a challenge to us about the kind of value that we place on people. What sort of lengths will we go to in our endeavour to follow the command that Jesus gave us to command to love one another? For instance, I find this story raises questions like, for me, like when was the last time I went out of my way for someone who could do nothing for me? Am I being salt and light to the world? And do my days and weeks look different to anyone else in our community? You know, it was recently Men's Mental Health Week and one of the things around mental health in our society is this phrase that's been marketed called, are you okay? I mean, 
even our secular society is trying to push a message of caring and loving and supporting one another. And uh, I love hearing what's happening around uh, the stuff in East Devonport and the, the initiatives around mental health because that's something that's important to me. And I guess this leads me to my one thought for this morning or my one point for this morning, which is simply this. Everyone needs stopping for at some point in time. Everyone needs stopping for at some point in time. So let's look back to this scripture of the, the story of the Good Samaritan. There's this person who has been beaten and, and, and robbed and left in a, in a bad way on the side of the road. And the first person that we're told that comes across this man is a priest. And really, the priest should have stopped for this man. I think most of us would assume that that is part of the message that Jesus is telling in this story. But for whatever reason, the priest did the exact opposite, crossed the road and decided that that was not his problem, that it was not his job, even though I think in that community, in that society, it would be expected that of anyone to help a man, it should be a priest. I mean, this is the person who's representing God to the community at this point in time, and he's avoiding people who are in desperate need of help. And I guess sometimes we're the answer to problems that are not our own. And maybe he's almost a reminder to us as Christians that, that we can sometimes... What if the priest was just happened to be on his way to church that day? Maybe he was running late for a prayer meeting, and that's why he couldn't afford to stop and help this man. Maybe the priest had, had the title and he had the position, but he'd entirely missed the whole heart of what it means and what it meant to be a follower of God. The next person that we see that comes across this man is the Levite. And for those that don't know, the Levite is still someone who's in the religious institution of the day, still a person involved with reflecting and representing God in the community. Maybe not as big a deal as the priest, but still someone you would have a certain expectation on being able to help. Someone like you and I, someone who's regularly involved in, in trying to live out our Christianity, but for whatever reason... He also doesn't stop. So we've got the priest who should have stopped. We've got the Levite who could have stopped. But maybe, I don't know, maybe he didn't feel equipped enough to help. Maybe he thought he wasn't qualified enough. Or maybe he thought someone who could deal with it better would eventually come along. You know, there's this uh, story about this woman um, called Kitty Genovese. I think that's how you say it. Um, you may or may not have heard this story. It's basically uh, created this understanding of this thing called the bystander effect. This woman's story is that I'm pretty sure it was in New York City. She was leaving work really late or early hours of the morning one night. And on her way home, she got attacked. She got attacked by a man. And as she was being attacked, I think he dragged her into an alleyway amongst apartments. And she was screaming for help. So he ran away because he thought, oh, no, someone's going to come. She's screaming for help. He ran away scared he wandered back about 10 minutes later to find that she was still struggling in the alleyway that he dragged her into and no one else had come so he re-engaged his attack on her and stabbed her 14 times in the uh, investigation that followed the police estimated that 38 people would have heard her cry for help but they all assumed that someone else would do something about it you see, there's this thought now that the bystander effect is simply when there's a group of people that see a problem, they all assume that someone else will do something about it and that can lead to no one doing something about it. 
We finally get to this man, the Samaritan, and this is where it makes no sense. This is where the story gets really confusing because the history of Samaritans, for those that, that don't know, is that long before Jesus' birth and the time that he spent on the earth, Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which remained Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Around 700 BC, Assyria came and took captive a bunch of people in the northern kingdom, and then about 600 BC, Babylon put people from the southern kingdom into exile. And then the Israelites, it's, it's believed that the Israelites living in the northern kingdom had children with the Assyrians that had taken them captive, and then that's how we got Samaritans. Then, if you skip forward in history quite a while to about 70 BC, there's a group that head back from the southern kingdom to rebuild the walls with Nehemiah, and the Bible tells us that the Samaritans attacked the Jews as they were trying to do this. So part of this story is the history of Samaritans and Jewish people, because Jesus is telling this story to Jewish people, and in this story, the Samaritan is the hero. And way before Jesus was around, Samaritans and Jewish people have hated each other. It was deep, deeply ingrained in their culture and their history that they are enemies, not friends. So it does not make sense that the priest who should have stopped would walk past, that the Levite who could have stopped would walk past, but the enemy, the Samaritan, would stop and help. This story does not make sense. He shows compassion and empathy. He acts on it and cares for this person's wounds. I did a first aid course recently, and one of the things I got taught in the first aid course is that you might not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And this Samaritan did something. He pays for it. It says that he, he gave two denarii, which is the equivalent to, do, to two days' wages at the time. And I don't know about you, but it would affect our budget if I gave away two days' wages to someone on the side of the road on the way home. So he's making a sacrifice and he's paying for someone's needs above him and his own family. He followed through with it by coming back later to make sure that all the debts were paid and this person was cared for and looked after. Which leads me right back to my point that everyone needs stopping for at some point in time. A few years ago, Miriam and I were um, at a, a friend's party out in Port Sorel and we were driving home and at the time we lived in Sprayton and we were driving through um, the Moriarty sort of area, if you know that space well. And it was dark, I'm not sure how late it was, after dinner sometime and we were driving through there, not really any cars around for whatever reason and uh, as we were heading past that school, the Geneva Christian College in that space heading towards La Trobe, um, we came around a bend and I remember our headlights kind of lighting up all this fog and, and this smoke and, and, and being confused as to why is it so foggy in this spot, it's like the middle of summer and uh, as we get closer I see this orange light flashing off to the side of the road and, and uh, as we pull up our lights begin to sort of illuminate that there's been this car accident and we're the first ones to, to sort of be there, it's just happened. And uh, we pulled the car over and I sort of said to Miriam, I was like, I guess we, can you call an ambulance? We'll, I'll go and find out what's happened. And, uh, and as I jump out of the car and walking up the street, uh, there was these two cars that had crashed into one another. One of them was a newer car and I could see to the right of the street that this girl had ended up in the bank 
on the side driving the newer car, the airbags had gone off and I could see that the dust of the airbags and that was in the car, but I could tell that she was sort of managing okay. But I looked ahead and there was a much worse off car, an older car that was really smashed in quite badly. Um, the wheels, I think one of the wheels was fallen off, the, the whole bonnet and motor was all caved in, the roof was kind of caved in, and, uh, and I was sort of thinking, man, am I, is, is there going to be people in this car that aren't alive? And I started walking towards this car, and, and as I got to the, the car, I could see there was one lady in there, probably in a, maybe her 60s, and she was pinned in the driver's seat because of this crash. And uh, she was still alive, she was still awake. I was looking at her, but she wasn't saying anything. She wasn't talking. And I remember just looking into her eyes, and I remember her look, and man, I still think of it today, like just the, the fear that was in her face. And uh, I remember saying to her, it's okay, it's going to be okay, we've called the ambulance, help is on the way. And just trying to talk to her and reassure her and sort of look at the damage. And there was no way I was going to be able to get her out of the car, nor probably should I try and without knowing what to do appropriately. And some other guys from the houses at this point came over and ended up, jamming some stuff under the bonnet because it was shorting out on the battery and just sort of started sparking and all this sort of stuff and just continue to try and reassure this woman that we were trying to help and that that she would be okay and eventually after a while the uh, police showed up the ambulance showed up Miriam had taken the other girl um, back to our car and she was doing okay and and then I sort of backed off once the help arrived and and uh, and walked back to the car. And we probably spent an hour maybe with this other girl while the ambulance sort of talked to her. And and we had left at that uh, after that. And, and at, even when we left, they were still cutting this woman out of the car that she was caved in. And uh, I found out later, because I'd told this story before, and I found out later that um, apparently this lady was working multiple jobs, I think just trying to survive, and, and had fell asleep that night on her way home and as she did pulled herself into the oncoming car and uh and and i guess i say that to say everyone needs stopping for at some point in time there's not a single person in this room that would drive past that and just be like oh i hope someone else helps when i was about 16 um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't, I didn't grow up uh, sort of... The only understanding I had of God is that it was a fairy tale was the things that my parents told me when I asked. And, and uh, when I was about 16, I, I found myself in a, in a sort of a time in life where I felt very lost and confused. Um, my parents were going through a divorce. Um, home was not a fun place to be. Um, and at that same sort of time, if you remember back to high school, that's the same sort of time where people start having parties, start being able to get their hands on alcohol, smoking things, drugs, all those sorts of stuff. And, uh, and so I found myself engaging in that as a bit of a coping mechanism because of, I guess, what was happening at home. And uh, not knowing any other way to deal with how I was feeling. Um, but I remember, and I feel like God sort of highlighted to the, this to me later in my journey, um, that there was this night where I was walking home, and it must have been after some party, 3 or 4 a.m. probably, and I was walking home, and, and, uh, and I just wasn't ready to go back to the house and face whatever was going on at home. And uh, so I, wandered, I, found, I walked past this paddock, 
and I walked into this paddock and it had tall grass and I remember I was probably drunk. I was probably, I don't know if I'd been smoking something that night. I was just just off, you know. And, and I remember laying down in that paddock looking up at the sky and I remember just feeling so lost and hurt and confused and unsure what the point of it all was. And I guess I truly feel like it was this shifting point where maybe I couldn't articulate how I was feeling and maybe I couldn't, maybe I didn't know how to pray about how I was feeling or um, talk to someone about how I was feeling. Uh, excuse me. But I, I do truly believe and feel like that moment uh, kicked off this chain of events to God intervening in my life. Uh, and I guess... I guess I just feel this, this, I feel as I reflect and look back, I feel like even though I couldn't say it, even though I couldn't pray it, that God heard the cry of my heart. And it's really because everybody needs stopping for it at some point in time. Whether it's blatantly obvious on the outside because someone's in a wreck or their world is falling apart, or if they hide it really well and pretend like everything's okay, but inside, the world's falling apart. Everybody needs stopping for at some point in time. You know, Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience, and it's a really offensive story. It's really offensive because... He's telling them that the hero of the story is their enemy. Because this, this intellectual smart teacher or, or, or whatever it says, this person who understands the law is trying to challenge Jesus. He tells this story and, and that's why at the end Jesus asks the question, so you tell me who was the neighbor to this man? And you can just imagine the hesitation in the response to this Jewish teacher he doesn't even say the Samaritan. He doesn't even say that connection. He just says, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise, which is a massive thing to say. Hey, let me tell you a story about how, how your enemy was the one who helped in a situation. Go and be like that person. I mean, that's a massive thing to say to someone. And I, I would love for you to feel inspired today and encouraged today and, and all those sorts of things, to feel equipped and empowered to go and be the good Samaritan to your world. But I also have to be honest with you today because not even on my best day have I ever come close to being as good as the good Samaritan. I mean, I've done a few good things before and I've tried my best but I definitely haven't done it every time and I've definitely not done it all the time. And we could respond this morning in prayer going, God, help us to be more like the Good Samaritan. But truth be told, I find it hard to love my kids the right way every day, let alone my enemies. And uh, the reality is, is that it's pretty impossible 
this story is pretty impossible because Jesus is challenging the culture of the time. And I don't know about you, but often when I read scripture, I like to put myself in the hero's shoes. You know, in David and Goliath, we're always David. We're never Goliath. But maybe sometimes we are. And in this situation, we'd love to think that we're the good Samaritan, but maybe we're not because in some ways, Jesus is the only one who could ever be as good as the good Samaritan. So when he says, go and do likewise, the, the, the point is to go, there's not a chance I can go and do likewise. No one could go and do likewise. There's not a person on the planet who could do that, who is that loving, that kind, that able to be able to put all those things aside and care. And Jesus is probably standing there going, that's the point. That's why I'm here. Because he's the only one who could ever be as good as the good Samaritan. And I don't know about you, but I'm much more like the guy in the gutter than the guy that helped. Than the guy that helped. I'm much more like the person who was broken. I'm much more like the person who was confused. I'm much more like the person who was crying out for help than the person who was able to put everything aside and help their enemy. And Jesus, to me, as my good Samaritan, did exactly what happened in this story. He found me in my brokenness. He found me in my pain. He found me in my confusion and my mess. And he gave me hope. He gave me a second chance. He, he helped me to find freedom that I never knew I could find. He, he crossed the road for me when I didn't think anyone would. He came and picked me up and helped me. He didn't just, he followed through with it. He paid the price at the cross for all of us. He paid a debt we could never pay for ourselves. He saved us from our own sin. He redeemed us and picked us up and gave us a brand new start at life. And he rose again three days later and returned just like this good Samaritan did. Returned to make sure that the debt was paid and that this person could have a future. That he didn't just deal with his problems. He gave him purpose and he gave him an opportunity to live a brand new life. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, a great scripture. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. This is Jesus teaching us and helping us understand that no matter how far from God you might feel or how far from God you have been, you're never far enough away for him to not cross that road or pay that price or follow up on giving you a plan and a purpose for your life. It doesn't make sense, but he did it. And whether you've found yourself lost and confused and internally battling with all these sorts of issues and, and things like that, or if you've ever found yourself literally trapped in the world around you is caving in on you, there is a saviour and there is a healer and there is hope found in Jesus. And you can't always tell from the outward appearance, but it's funny how much a look can say. That look that that woman gave me in that car told me, everything I needed to know about how she was feeling. But I've seen that look in people who aren't trapped in cars before. I've seen that look in people who are faking it and pretending like everything is okay, but their world is falling in on them. And maybe the point is to, of this story is not to feel the pressure to be as good as the Good Samaritan, but to be encouraged that Jesus can, that he can be. And just like my first aid course taught me, you might not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And maybe we can't be the saviour 
to those people in our world that are lost. And maybe we can't be the healer for the people in our world that are broken, but we can sure introduce them to the one who is. One of my favorite scriptures is from Psalm 18, verse 20 to 24. And it says this, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways and I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the ways that he works and I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. I love the way that starts. This is the message version. It says, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. So maybe our job, like I said, is not to solve all the problems of those in need, but to simply introduce them to the one that can. That's why we're here. That's what we're put on the planet to do, is to be salt and light to the world, is to be able to bring and introduce those around us who aren't in relationship with Jesus to Jesus. Because we can't heal anyone, we can't save anyone, but we can do what we can until the one who can do those things arrives in their world. And if he's been your good Samaritan, like he's been my good Samaritan, he can be the good Samaritan for those in our world too. Because everybody needs stopping for at some point in time. I'd love to pray for you as the band come wrap up the service. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we're just so grateful. So, so grateful that you would do everything you did for us. That you would that you would hang from that cross, that you would pay a price we could never pay for ourselves, that you would redeem us, set us free and lift us up so that we would live in purpose and have a future in you. God, we do think of and we pray for those in our world that aren't in relationship with you. Maybe some of them seem like they've got it all together and everything is fine. They've got everything life could possibly want to provide for them. But there's still that hole missing. There's still that gap deep within them. God, would you help us to be the type of people that they know they can lean on, that they can trust, that they can come to as they navigate the things of life. God, for those in our world that seems like everything is falling apart, everything is caving in for them. Would you help us to be the type of people you could send to them, the type of people who could go to them, the type of people who could reflect and represent you well to them. But Jesus, we just ask above all that you would help us and lead us and guide us to introduce people to you.